Hashtag SAFMBTH. Okay, let's welcome our guests this afternoon. We have Kevin Lings, uh, Chief Economist at Stanlip and Independent Economic Analyst, Professor Bonke Dumisa, um, who is joining us for this, co- uh, for this conversation. Kevin, let's start off with you. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time for us. Um, from your reading, what does it mean that now that BRICS is going to expand by at least um, six countries, but also looking at who these six countries are? Afternoon, Aldrin. I think it's... Um something that was pretty much expected, maybe not at this meeting itself, but I think the message was clear that uh, the BRICS grouping wanted to expand. I think only really India was expressing some concerns about that, but clearly whatever concerns India had, uh, those have been overcome. And it's also clear from the statement that there will be further members announced, right? So we're aware of at least 20-odd countries that want to join, perhaps even more than that. And so I, I think you, look, you can look at these six countries as just the first phase of probably an ongoing expansion. The, the six countries they mentioned, there's nothing um, that jumps out at me as being you know, an overriding reason why, why they chose those six. What is the commonality between them? What is the criteria? They haven't actually released the type of criteria they looked at to decide, and I assume in time we'll get an idea of what will be the membership criteria. But these six countries don't necessarily have a huge amount in common. They do trade, all of them though, do trade quite a lot with China. I was looking at each of those six countries and they all have China as their biggest import supplier. So from that perspective, there is a link up with the existing BRICS members and most of those six countries trade quite a lot with the other members. So I think there's a inter-trade relationship. And I suspect what happened was that each of the existing members of BRICS would have favored one country over another. There would be some reason why they would want that in particular. For example, you know, Brazil would want to include Argentina because it's a significant trade partner with, with Brazil and, and there's quite a lot of symmetry between them. And I think that from a South American perspective, that would be a a very powerful trading block. So I think each country probably had its own set of criteria. I do think that with Iran and Saudi Arabia in the mix, I I think that's that's a China initiative. And and certainly they've got their work cut out to try and reconcile that. That's going to be challenging going forward. But it does put it in a a powerful position because now you are introducing a very significant oil supply into the BRICS partnership. And I think that uh, creates a different dynamic around it. It doesn't rival OPEC, but it certainly puts it in a more powerful position to make inroads into global global discussions on a whole range of topics. And Professor Bonke, good afternoon. Your takeaway from this announcement. Yes, uh, good afternoon. And I'm, I'm in agreement with most of the things which were said by, by Kevin. But taking it from a different angle, we, I think the intention of the BRICS uh, current members was to increase the number, regardless of some of the consequences and implications thereof. You must remember that what uh, Lula da Silva said was, as things stand now, BRICS accounts for 37% of the global GDP. That's a very big figure. 
I don't know whether how to deal with the issue of those countries accounting for 46% of the world population because it can be both a, a, a positive or a negative. However, Kevin said that he does not know why some of these countries were chosen as against the many others were not chosen. I, I, I gave myself time to analyze each one of these countries. One of the cabinet ministers in South Africa once said that uh, everyone has got their own small skeletons. So when it comes to these six countries which they, they have chosen, most of them are doing very well in terms, in terms of their trading. However, they've got some challenges with some of their human rights records. And let us take Iran, for example. It is the world's 20, 21st largest economy by purchasing power parity. However, when they become part of, of BRICS, then we'll start having another issue with, with America as they gave us some challenges when it comes, it, 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 it comes to, to, to Russia. Let's hope that we're not going to have many of, of such things because the Iran and U.S. always have their own issues which unfortunately then end up affecting other people. With Saudi Arabia and the UAE, they are both fastest growing economies and with Saudi Arabia being the, the 18th um, largest economy in, in the world and the fastest growing economy in the G20 in, in 2022. And yeah, other than that, they're an absolute monarchy. There's nothing really objectionable about them being part of, of BRICS. When it comes to the UAE, the the UAE actually has its king who has his own airport in the Eastern Cape in South, in South Africa. So already they're, they're dealing with South Africa a, 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 a lot. Egypt, yeah, it is. It is the one of, of of the three largest economies in 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 Africa, being run by a, an army. So and but everything almost happens in, in Egypt. So I don't see any any challenges. With Ethiopia, I'm happy today they are part of 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 uh, of BRICS as it is now. They've got the largest airline in in Africa as it is now. Ethiopian Airlines is doing very well despite the challenges they have in the country because they only they have got a problem unfortunately with political instability in some parts of of uh, Ethiopia where you have got some people who are carrying out uh, some guerrilla warfare against the current government but it it it, it is a semi stable country and it is doing well Argentina, unfortunately, they they've got serious economic mismanagement challenges, which have actually led to the to the collapse of the peso. So, I think the first thing they will do will be to to raise a a, a, a loan with with the national with with, with with the BRICS development bank. But I don't really fault any. Of 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 these of these six countries, other than that, they each one have their own smaller and skeletons in the same way as with with with, with the five 
current members of BRICS. So they, they, they are looking at numbers and hoping then that by having big numbers, they will be able to influence the, the global issues. My question then is, is that really true? Because looking at the current five members, I really don't think many of them take BRICS so seriously because South Africa has the largest uh, trade deficit against all of these countries. And I do not see how South Africa benefits significantly from any five of them. In fact, we have South African farmers who are always complaining about chicken from Brazil. Saudi Arabia is the first country to push, to cut its product, oil production, and South Africans suffer because of increases in, in, in fuel prices. So they each one have their own problems. But yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with all of them. Yeah, um, and Kevin, one of the points that have been raised here over and over again is um, the weaponizing of the international paying systems and also the lack of transformation of the global um, international financial um, groups as well. And Antonio Guterres also calling for the reform of the, of the Brentwood groups. I wonder whether this decision, as Professor Dumisa has pointed out, the, uh, uh, referring to what Lula da Silva had said about 37% of world um, GDP purchasing power parity would be amongst the BRICS countries, 47, 46% of world population. Is the intention here to actually find alternative payment systems even before we deal with that question around de-dollarization? I think it's part of the mix. I don't think it's the primary objective. I think it's certainly a, an important objective that they would want to expand. And I think most of the members, if not all of the members, have expressed a desire to do just that and, and have a bigger role for their own currencies in, in global trade. And certainly China has in its own expressed a desire to for their currency to be much more significant in terms of global currency. So I think it's part of it. Um, obviously, to to replace the dollar is a long-term process. You very unlikely to do that overnight. But over time, you would imagine that the role of the dollar will diminish simply because of the numbers you mentioned. This represents a fairly sizable part of the world economy, a massive part of the world's population, and these are fairly fast-growing economies. And so, over time, the U.S. is going to become a smaller and smaller portion of the world economy. The US, I think, represents something like 5% of the world's population, producing 25% of the world's output. That's a massive output for 5% of the world's population. So the question is, how much can 5% of the world produce? And, 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 and the answer has to be not a hell of a lot more than they're currently producing. And so the future rests with the, big, the countries with big populations. And that's partly why India has become so successful, certainly China becoming more and more successful, and other countries will join that. And as those countries join, they will have different uh, preferences for, for trade, for currencies, for how financial activity is conducted. And I think over a period of time, the dollar will naturally lose its dominance. Um, I don't think it's wise for the BRICS to try and force that, to try and engineer that in, in, in a very rapid way. And the reason is, I think there can be significant unintended consequences. And, and certainly our Minister of Finance was highlighting that 
in one of the interviews at the summit to say we're not in a position yet to simply shift how we do swift payments or how we do transfers into different currencies and that we can cause a lot of a lot of chaos in for ourselves and for other countries if we try and do this very rapidly. But I think most people will acknowledge that over time these systems are going to change and and hopefully we can do it right. You don't want to just force some sort of change in the financial system and then end up with something that is intrinsically unstable. Yeah. Professor Bonke, are there any risks from your end? Um, Antonio Guterres also warning that we cannot afford a world of a divided global economy and financial systems. Yes, there can be risks if ever we, we do things really emotionally. It's very interesting to note that it, it was actually the Russian delegation who, who is, is said to, to have said we cannot afford to have BRICS running too fast on this whole issue of having a BRICS currency because of, of some of the unintended consequences economically. So we must not, and I'm, I'm happy that they did not rush into making decisions on this because based on, on, on all these issues that we, we have actually dealt with, we must remember that for, for the currency to be strong, you need a very strong political base and a strong economic base the, over and above the, the, trading, the trading issues. So BRICS currently does not necessarily have the political, a strong political base as as, as, as as the collective. They do as different countries, but not as the collective. By the same to- token, to, on the issue of economic certainty, they do not necessarily have that strong economic base. Indivi- I mean, as a collective, even though they have it individually. So for, for them to have a strong BRICS currency, Ultimately, not necessarily now, they will have to strengthen those two parts in order for people to say, "Yeah, these these people are real actors." Because when you talk of a of of, of a currency that is being regarded as a reserve currency or the safe currency, you want to take that into consideration. That will this currency still be in existence? 20 years down the line and 50 years down the line. With the U.S. problem of weaponizing the U.S. dollar, the one thing that makes them thrive despite drowning in, in, in debts is that they do have the political stability, regardless of whether they are run by the Democrats or the, or the Republicans. And they do have the economic certainty. I mean, when you look at, at their economic indicators on an ongoing basis, they are always doing very well, including their latest ones. So they must not rush into, into this decision about the BRICS currency, but they must, and other countries will join them in creating alternative currencies to the dominance of the weaponized U.S. dollar.
Thank you so much for your time. Professor Bonke Dumisa there, as well as Kevin Links, Chief Economist at Standup, and Professor Bonke Dumisa, Independent Economic Analyst. And the decision that has been taken is that the financial ministers, as well as the central bank governors um, of the various central banks of the member states of BRICS, will set up a working group, and this working group will look at the modalities of these alternative payment systems, but also which would include the use of strengthening local currency and the possibility also of a common currency that could be used amongst the BRICS nations, which as you now see, uh, continue to grow. Six new members, Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United um, Arab Emirates, and they get their full membership from the 1st of January, 2024. It's time for the news headlines.